Welcome everyone online. I'm so glad you're here with us. Can we give it up for everyone online today? Like Kate said in uh, the video, uh, next week is our last Sunday at Red Hills Church. So this is uh, our uh, my last full day preaching. Uh, I'm going to talk next week, but um, uh, but I'd love to say goodbye to you. And uh, and I'm just so grateful for my time here at this church. Um, but I'm not done yet, so I'm not going to go there. We'll save that for next week. Today we're actually going to close the series that we've been in for the last several weeks called Invisible Prisons. Uh, and uh, this series is all about what God does in the most difficult places of our life. And we see that God works most clearly and most powerfully in the prison narratives that we read in the scriptures. And although you or I may not face the inside of a physical prison, we face the inside of spiritual prisons and God can work miraculously in those places. Now I've got to confess to you that today was not supposed to be my last message when I planned this series nine months ago. So I still have more to invisible prisons that at some point, at some day, I'm going to preach because I want to give you the spoiler to my last message that I was going to preach on this because in Revelation 20, it says this, at the end of the story of scripture that was compiled together and given to us, it says this, that an angel came down from heaven, that they locked up the great serpent who is the devil and Satan, and the angel threw him into a dungeon. Now listen to this. So the thing, the devil, the Satan, that imprisoned humanity at the beginning in the garden, at the very end of the story, gets imprisoned by the very person he could never imprison, who is Jesus. And so ultimately, the things that hold you back in the future will be imprisoned. The one who tries to imprison will be thrown into prison himself. Can somebody say amen? But that's not what I'm going to talk about today. Today I want to talk about the Apostle Paul. Because as I look at all the prison narratives in Scripture, his uh, stories come up as uh, first and foremost as the one who's experienced probably more hardship and actually has served more time in the physical prison than anyone else. Paul is considered to be the greatest missionary ever to walk the earth. He wrote 13 letters, which means he wrote half of our New Testament books or co-authored them with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are new to church. You want to know, well, who is Paul? Paul previously had a name, Saul. Paul's his Greek name. Saul is his Hebrew name. And before he found Jesus Christ, Saul was a persecutor of Christians. In fact, he was there at the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. It says he was holding the cloaks or the coats of those who were throwing stones at Stephen. So Saul uh, zealously persecuted Christians. And many of you know the story on the way uh, to, on the Damascus road, the way to Damascus, he was uh, encountered Jesus. Jesus appeared to him. So this was a post-death, resurrection, ascension appearance of Jesus to the apostle Paul. Well, he wasn't the apostle Paul at the time. And he radically saved him. And, and, and the tenacity in which Paul persecuted the church, he turns it around. And all of a sudden, he uses that gifting, those talents, uh, to build the church and to preach the gospel. 
And Paul had in the book of Acts three missionary journeys that he goes on. And, and, and he preaches the gospel and people become Christians and churches spring into existence. But there was one place that Paul had yet to go on his missionary journeys. And all three of his missionary journeys, he did not go to Rome. Now, you know there's a book in the Bible called Romans. It is a book written by Paul to the church in Rome. And so at the writing of this letter, Paul had never visited Rome. There are Roman Christians because the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, people spoke in a bunch of different languages, all right? And people heard their native language, the gospel, because they were at the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost. And when they left, they took the gospel with them. And so in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1 and 15, Paul says this, I long to visit you in Rome someday. In fact, Paul prays that it would be God's will for him to be with the Roman Christians. Here is the ironic thing, is that although Paul prays this, what Paul didn't know, what Paul couldn't know, was the path he would go on to be in Rome. And so I want to lead us on this path so you understand Paul's journey. And so I want to start in Acts chapter 20. It talks about Paul. So he ends up in Jerusalem at the third and final uh, missionary journey. And we'll get this scripture up on the screen. Acts 20, 22 through 24, it says this. Now I am compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me, listen to this, that prison and hardships are facing me. All right, would you move to a place where the Holy Spirit says, if you go, you're going to experience prison. If you go, you're going to experience hardship. Like most of us would stay where we're at. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You see, the Apostle Paul knew that part of his journey to preach the gospel in a pagan world, he would face difficulties and hardship in life. And rather than avoiding the pain, he embraces it as part of the journey. And so Paul's journey to Rome... His third and final missionary journey ends in Jerusalem. We just read it. He's going to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, Paul is hated by his own people, Jewish people. He is hated by his own people. In fact, they hate him so much that they got the Roman authorities to arrest Paul. Uh, and so the Roman authorities, the Roman guards arrested Paul and put him in prison and at this point, Paul's going to be in prison for the rest of his life as we know it. And so he is captured and put in prison. Uh, but the Jewish people, there's so much vitriolic hate for Paul that they actually uh, have an assassination attempt on his life. And 40 men pledge their life. They say this. They said, we're not going to eat or drink again until the apostle Paul is dead. 40 people. Forty crazy, wild men say that we're going to do everything we can to make sure that Paul and the gospel is destroyed. 
And it's interesting because in this assassination attempt, Paul hears about it. They tell the Roman guards, and the Roman guards end up saving Paul's life. They move him to Caesarea on the coast, and it, the, the, God, the act says this, that he stayed there for two years in prison. So two years on the, uh, on the coast. He's rescued by the Roman guards, brought to Caesarea, and he realizes this, that he's never getting out of prison that he's there and he appeals all the time to Felix and he realizes that his only way out is to appeal to Caesar because, Ro because Paul is a Roman citizen and so he says, I want to appeal to Caesar. This starts his journey to Rome. And so what do they do on his journey to Rome? They put him on a ship. You know what happens to Paul while he is locked up as a prisoner on a ship? His ship gets shipwrecked, all right? It's like things go from bad to worse in his life. And he finally ends up in Rome. And in Rome, he is under house arrest. And he spends two years, at least, that we know of under house arrest. And this is all we know of the biblical story about Paul. Now, I'm not comparing our lives or our calling to Paul, because there's no way that we could do that. No one comes close. God has asked Paul to make sacrifices that he has asked you and I probably not to make. But what I do believe is this, is that all of us are called to tell people about Jesus. All right, it's the Great Commission. That we're all called to tell people about Jesus, to live a faithful life to Jesus. And in doing so, we will experience some of the hardships that Paul experienced. You see, faithfulness to Christ in a pagan world will inevitably lead you, lead you to odds against the culture that you're in. It's interesting because as I started Invisible Prisons, I did not realize that this was going to be so much of a theme. Uh, that, that, that a lot of times the reason people are locked up is because they're preaching against the culture that they're in. Just like Joseph, just like Daniel, just like Jesus, and now Paul. And what we see in these times where it's as if the enemy is trying to compress the gospel, we see expansion of it. We see God's uh, power moved in this place. And I want to talk about what God did in Paul and through Paul in the prison. And I believe he can do the same through you and I. And in the prison places, there's this interesting thing that Paul experienced, that Paul becomes wounded. And I want us to read this passage of Scripture. I've long been intrigued by this passage of Scripture. In fact, the first sermon I ever preached in my life was out of this Scripture. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says, therefore, in order, for, for, in order to keep me from being conceited, right? You never start a line that way. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How many of you have heard this passage? I want to talk about this thorn in the flesh. It's interesting because most commentators say thorn really isn't the right word we should use. It's become the traditional word, but it's more like steak. Like it's much bigger than a small thorn that you get from picking a blackberry bush and you pull it out. There is something that is puncturing him so deeply that he mentions it to the Corinthian church. It's interesting because the thorn in the flesh, and you can write this down, it could be physical, spiritual, or emotional 
pain. The reality is no one knows for certain, but there's different theories surrounding what this thorn in the flesh actually is. It could be physical pain. We know that Paul experienced physical pain. He experienced 30, 40 lashes minus one. 40 lashes was considered death. You would die at 40 lashes. They, they, they gave him 39 just to the point of death so that he wouldn't actually die. Uh, Paul talks to the Galatians, and he writes in the Galatians about an illness that he has. And he's not very specific about it because he doesn't talk about himself a lot. But he talks about this illness that he's had. Some commentators actually think that Paul might have been disfigured. Right? He might have had something in his appearance that's uh, a disfigurement in his appearance. Some people think that maybe it could have been his speech. Because as he talks in one of his letters, actually to the Corinthians, uh, he says some of you, some of the Corinthians think you're powerful uh, on paper, but you're not a powerful person like in the present, so in your speech. And so some people think it's maybe a physical pain that he's experienced. Some people think it's a spiritual pain. Paul, before a Christian, persecuted Christians. And, and so some people believe maybe there's this deep spiritual grief that Paul has in his heart. That there's this painful moment and place in his life, and he grieves over the things that he's done in the past. How many of you have done that as well? Maybe you've grieved over the things that you've done in the past. There's a, a deep spiritual grief. And other people believe that it could be an emotional pain. An emotional pain. Pain not only experienced this hurt. Paul not only experienced hurt caused by the Jews, but he experienced hurt caused by other Christians. It's interesting because when he writes in Philippians, and by the way, Paul is in prison when he writes the letter to the Philippians. He, he says that there are people in Rome that are preaching uh, the gospel for selfish ambition. And he says they are stirring up trouble for me. And so Paul is talking about other Christians that are causing him pain and problem. Problems. Now, here's the reality. They had an envy of Paul's success, and they're stirring up trouble for Paul. So what is it? I don't know exactly what it is, but I'll tell you what I think it is. As a leader, as a pastor, as experiencing some of the same things, I believe it's an emotional pain that he has, a thorn in the flesh that cannot be removed. I believe it's an emotional wound that he has. Why do I do that? Because some of the greatest thorns in my own life has been not been physical ailments, but emotional wounds I've experienced. And oftentimes the wounds that you experience, if they're from other Christians, there's a deeper wound that is there. You see, emotional wounds can be invisible prisons that keep you locked up. There's this podcaster named Adam Young. He's a psychologist, and he's also biblically and theologically trained. He's got this podcast called The Place We Find Ourselves In. He talks about your story and your narrative. But there's one podcast he talks about your emotional wounds. And he says that your wound that you have in your life is profoundly influencing how you are living your life. And he says that in our emotional wounds, that there is a link between your wound and your captivity. There is a link between your wound and your captivity. I want to take you to Isaiah 61.1. This verse will sound very familiar to you because this is the verse that Jesus preached in his very first sermon. 
Isaiah says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. What's the connection? You see, God makes a connection between the brokenhearted and those who are held in captivity. He says that I'm going to heal the brokenhearted, release them from the prison and from captivity. There is a link between your wound and your captivity. You see, God's plan is to bind up the brokenhearted. God's plan is to take your heart and put it back together. I will say it this way, that God's will is to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. I heard a, a, a story recently that this man told that relates to how your wound can keep you in captivity. He recounts a story that as a fifth grader, he was uh, severely overweight. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, I don't think my kids have done this in PE, but remember the, in PE they used to do like the, the, the uh, national testing and you had to touch your toes, which I could never do because I don't, my hamstrings are too tight, right? And you had to do pull-ups, you had to do a rope climb. Do they still do that in middle school? All right, no. Do you still have to wear gym clothes in middle school? All right, thank the Lord, those were awful. Anyway, uh, he says that he was uh, overweight as fifth grader, uh, and they got up on the pull-up bar, and he couldn't do one pull-up. And what he remembers is that everyone was laughing at him in the shame and embarrassment that he was experiencing in that moment. And he said to himself that day, he says, I'm never going to feel that kind of shame again. So he went home that day as a fifth grader, and he started running. And the first day, he could only run four blocks. But for the next two and a half years, he ran every single day. And he says that he went as a fifth grader from a size 36 waist to a size 29 waist in two and a half years. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, good for him. But what happened is that turned into anorexia as well. And before you know it, he is stuck in his wound and he's held captive by the wounds that he has experienced. You see, there, there is this progression that happens when we experience emotional pain. And the progression is this. The progression is, if you don't have Jesus and if you don't have healthy relationships, you try to bind your heart and put it back together all by yourself. And when you bind up your heart and try to build that back together all by yourself, what you do is you end up devising schemes and ways to protect your heart from those kind of things never happening again. And you say things like, I'm never going to be ashamed again. Therefore, I'm going to continue to do and live this. Here's what's so interesting. It's not actually the wound that keeps us in captivity. It's what we do after we experience the wound. You see, the far greater dysfunction in people's life is not that a wound happened. We get hurt all the time. I remember things said to me in kindergarten, we get hurt all the time. It's not that you were hurt. It's the way you devise things afterward to protect yourself from ever getting hurt again. And that is the dysfunction that we often find ourselves in. It's interesting because 
when Jesus reads this passage and preaches his first message. And remember, Invisible Prisons, I started out with this. His first sermon was to bind up the brokenhearted and free people from captivity. That Jesus' plan and his power was not just to heal people physically. As a good Pentecostal or charismatic, we want the physical healings. But you know in the Bible, and don't, don't mishear me, like we want to see that and we believe in that. But the angel celebrates when? When people come to know Jesus. When there's a healing of the heart. And so the mission and the message of Jesus is to heal and bind up broken hearts, to take the emotionally wounded and put them back together. Last week I talked about how to get out of the prison, and it's the power of praise. This week I want to talk about the process in the prison place, the process in the prison Place. And the reality is this, this is what I want you to write down, is that healing is a process. Healing is a process. A couple weeks ago, uh, it was a Friday, and um, on Friday for us is family day, family night. Does anybody have a family night? And uh, most of the times, all my kids are there, although as they get older, it's harder and harder to have a family night. And so it's family night, and we don't have any other plans. It's also our Sabbath, so we like take 24 hours not to do anything. I don't check my emails. I, I, I don't do any work. I don't work on my sermon. I don't even think about my sermon. I've gotten that good to obeying the Sabbath. And so I decided we're going to do something fun as a family. We're going to go to an escape room. Have you ever been to an escape room? And some of you, are, it's this. It's where you pay a lot of money to get locked in a little room with a bunch of people, and you've got to figure your, your way and solve your way out of that room. Now, some of you, that sounds like hell. I know. <laughs> but some dysfunctional people like me actually pay for this experience. <laughs> so you get put in this little room, and, 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 I mean, what a great bonding experience with your family to be put in a prison and find your way out. And literally, they have different themes. One of their themes was literally a prison. I decided not to pick that one. I didn't want my kids to have wounds and need counseling later on. Dad, why did we do that when we were little? And so we're in this escape room. And... Uh, uh, and, and they give you an hour to do it, and, and they're watching you on camera, and they tell you, by the way, we're watching you. Uh, and you can't ask for clues, uh, and, uh, and so they talk to you, uh, and you find all these, you know, you solve all these different puzzles in this little room, and, um, uh, and, and we get to, and we're, we're an hour, and they have a big timer, and we're getting so close to the end, like we're figuring out, and the timer goes off, and she comes on the mic, and she goes, you guys are almost there, I'll give you 30 more seconds and we need 30 more seconds we figured out the puzzle and we got to go out the escape room you know one one interesting thing is my son my youngest son Bennett he goes to the door halfway through and he opens it up he says I found my way out right he thought he won <laughs> because they didn't actually lock the door all right so we weren't actually locked in there I mean why we pay for this is absolutely ridiculous but here, here's where I'm going with this story I am going somewhere that that the best thing about the escape room is not actually getting out of the door. I mean, that's like the highlight of it. But the memories are formed through the hour experience of figuring out each part. It's not just that you got out of the escape room, 
It's the process in which you got out, and it's the people that you did it with. And it's those things that you remember, and it's those things where, where you bind yourself to one another, and it's those things, it is in the process, and emotional healing is a process. Here's what I think. Oftentimes, the process to freedom is just as important as the place of freedom. You see, we love the instantaneous and sensational. And I don't know if you've noticed this in me, but in the last several years, I've stopped giving the sensational testimonies of people on stage. Because what we've done is we've always highlighted the sensational part, but we never highlight the process it took to get there. And we never say there's going to be a process after because there's been times where people have said their story only to struggle after they tell their story. Which, by the way, is totally fine. But once you say that to everyone, all of a sudden you shut down and you think, well, I can't tell people I'm struggling because I already said I got freedom from it. And so what we find is actually the process is far greater and you learn more in the process than actually finding the freedom. And we want instantaneous and sensational. But the reality is God doesn't often work that way, especially when it comes to our emotions. You see, what God does in you and through you while in the prison is just as valuable as getting out. In fact, God doesn't allow us to bypass the healing process of our life. He, he just doesn't let you. Now, some of you say, oh, Lord, oh, pray that this thorn gets removed from me. I mean, the, the best missionary, the best pastor, the apostle, the co-author of 13 books prayed, God, would you take this away from me? But God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. How do you deal with that? No, 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 I'm going to keep you in that place a little longer. And Paul says, well, and now that's how I'm going to experience power in my weakness. Sometimes we want the instantaneous and miraculous. When I was a youth pastor, um, I uh, took a group of teenage boys, uh, uh, seniors in high school. I took them to a trip uh, to go to a Jesus Culture Conference in, uh, uh, in um, Redding, California. Uh, and uh, we went, I mean, this is when the band was big and Kim Walker and it's just incredible worship. Uh, and so we took, I took about six teenagers down there. And this one kid, he brought his guitar. I thought, oh, great, like we have a musician uh, that can play some worship music either in the van and uh, on the way down or our hotel room. Uh, and so I said, well, why don't you get out your car and play? And he gets out his guitar and he starts playing. And it's like the worst sound I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and he, he said, I can't actually play. I said, well, okay, I'm a guitar player. Do you want me to teach you some chords? He goes, no, 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 I don't, I don't want any lessons. He said, the reason I'm here is I am praying that God miraculously gives me the ability to play guitar. <laughs> now, I didn't laugh at him like you just laughed at him. <laughs> but I gave him that look that, I don't know if you know me very well, but I can give a look where I just think you said the dumbest thing in the world. It's kind of like, what, are you serious? And after that weekend, he did not miraculously get the gift to play guitar. But sometimes I think we want our faith to be like that or our spirituality to be like that. 
And, and, and God doesn't bypass the process because if you bypass the process, it stunts your maturity. It'd be like you growing from a toddler to a young adult without going through your teenage years, without the struggle of teenage years. Like God, God does not want you to do that in your spiritual life. If he doesn't want you to do it in your biological life, he won't let you do it in your spiritual life. Now, some of you may be waiting for an emotional healing and you want it to be instantaneous. Say a prayer and it'll be done. Take away the burden, take away the pain, take out the thorn, the temptation. There is something about the struggle to freedom. Many of you heard this story before. I've told this story before, but there's this story about this little boy who sees a butterfly emerging for a cocoon and struggling to get out of the cocoon. And he takes a little knife and he cuts open the cocoon so he could let the butterfly out, only to find out as soon as he did it, the butterfly had uh, disformed and disfigured wings and it could not support the weight of its body. And, and, and what we realize is that uh, by cutting that open, he actually stunted the growth of that butterfly. That part of the beauty of a butterfly being able to carry its own weight and fly to places that it couldn't normally fly to is through the struggle. Don't underestimate the struggle that God has for you. Don't deny the struggle. Embrace the struggle and realize that the struggle is part of your story and the struggle is part of the process. Let me get to the next one. The process always involves God and people. It always involves God and people. You see, emotional pain is caused relationally. Emotional pain is only caused by other people. And one cannot find healing in the absence of healthy, emotionally mature relationships. So just think about that concept. The only way you get emotional pain is through people, and the only way you can find healing is through relationships, through God and through people. It's the way God designed it. It's the way God uh, planned for it. The process always involves God and people. You know what we don't often talk about when Paul, when he was in the prison places, is we don't often talk about his people. We don't often talk about his friends. But he had several friends that supported him while he was in prison. There were Roman Christians that were stirring up trouble, but there are people that stayed with him in prison. In fact, one of them was Aristarchus. In fact, he was on the shipwreck with Paul and he was under house arrest with Paul. But most people believe that Aristarchus voluntarily submitted himself into prison so that he could be with Paul. Now, Paul gets all the credit, but he only gets credit because he had people around him. Paul also had Timothy. Did you know Timothy spent time in prison with Paul? Timothy is his protege, pastor that he's uh, raising up, and developing, and mentoring. There's also people like Demas and Mark and Luke and Epaphroditus. You know what Epaphroditus did? He took the letters that Paul wrote from prison and delivered them to the churches. Right? We wouldn't have Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, or Philemon without Epaphroditus. Right? See, the people were part of the process. What's my point is Paul had his people, and he had people that he can trust. You see, you cannot see all aspects of yourself. Therefore, you are blind to certain parts of who you are, and you need other people to point out those blind spots in your life. The hard part is, as, so, as soon as somebody starts to point out blind spots in our life, we, we want to leave, right? Oh, don't, don't tell me what to do. 
You, you know how difficult it's been to pastor the 21st century church? Because the level of, there's no authority. It's all, a pastor's my friend. And I want to be friendly. But at the end of the day, if I say, listen, God doesn't want you to live that way. Well, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else. And so, well, you're going to keep going from church to church to church, pastor to pastor to pastor. Because we don't like confrontation. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like people to say stuff that, that hurts our feelings or that, that we don't like. But the reality is, and my wife describes it like this, that we are a piece of marble. And it's only the people around us that chisel that marble into something beautiful. And it starts to chisel away at the rough edges of our life to create something beautiful. I've been known for saying this, that the right people will help you get to where God wants you to go. God's destiny for your life is found with people. Our calling and our healing is never done in a vacuum, absence of relationships. It's why we have a thing called tribes at our church. It's not just for people to have social time with other church members, but it's to have true, genuine, authentic community. One thing I love that Kate is doing, she's leading a Bible study called Find Your People, right? a women's group about finding your people to do life with. It is that important to find your people. I believe this. If you find your people, you will find your destiny in Christ. Let me get to the last one. Is that faithfulness and the process of healing leads us to fruitfulness in Christ. A lot of times we think fruitfulness or success is only going to come after the healing or after the freedom. But you know that in the process you can have fruit. We see this in Paul. Paul wrote four letters in, in the prison. They're called prison epistles. I had a class in Bible college called prison epistles. And it was Galatians. Uh, it was Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, and Philemon. And these are the, the fruit of Paul's labor in the prison places of life. You see, many people want success immediately, but it doesn't happen instantaneous. It's a slow process. I love how Eugene Peterson says it. Eugene Peterson translated in the Bible into the message, a paraphrased translation called the message. He, he, he calls this, he calls it long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience, just consistently pursuing God in the same direction leads you to spiritual maturity. Some of the greatest fruit you'll ever experience is found in the difficult places of life. In fact, some of the greatest pain that you've ever had will become your greatest purpose in your life. I know as a pastor, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have the pain that I had as a 19-year-old. A moment in my life where I looked up to the Lord and said, I, I need you. Of intense pain and grief in my own life that I felt like my only option was to turn to Jesus. You see, the platform that God wants to give you to proclaim the gospel, it's gonna come from the place of pain in your life. The question is, are you gonna allow God into that place? Are you gonna allow God into that healing to heal you? Are you gonna allow God to bind up your broken heart? Because the reality is, while we all maybe have raised our hands and said, Jesus, I want you in my life, that maturity in Christ, this binding of the heart is a process. We call it discipleship or sanctification. There's many words that you could use for it. But it's the place 
that God wants to heal you. You see, you won't find the fruit and you won't find your people if you never enter the process. I want you to bow your heads and pray with me. So the first step in the process is to admit that there's a, a wound, a pain. To understand that sometimes in your behavior, in your anger, in your frustration, in your depression, and your anxiety, and it stems from an experience or a wound, from a place of insecurity in your life. And it is recognizing that place and allowing Jesus into that place that begins to transform us. It is not blocking Jesus out of the deep recesses of your heart, but it is letting him in and allowing him to put the pieces back together. Some of you may be here, some of you may be listening right now. And you need Jesus to come into a very broken place in your life. And I want to ask you, is that you? Is that you? Are you here today and you say, you know what? There's an area in my life where I need to enter the process of healing and the process of finding freedom. If that's you and you're here this morning, I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to agree with you. I don't want to pray for you. If that's you, wherever you're at with every eye, uh, close and every head bow. Would you just lift up your hand if you say, Jesus, I want you in the place of my life. Amen. I see hands all over. Just keep them up for a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the boldness and courage of your people to invite you into the deepest parts of their life and their heart. And God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you begin to bind up their broken heart. God, that as they enter the process of healing, Lord, that you rest within them, abide in them. Let them know how much you love them, how much you are for them. No matter what has happened, no matter what they've done, no matter what has been done to them. Jesus, would you begin the healing work right now? As your brave and faithful people are entering that process. God, would you move in a mighty, powerful way. In your name, amen. You can put your hands down. Would you stand with me, church family? God is so good. Let's worship him. Let's close this time. If you're in that place where you just, you need the Lord to work in your heart, just allow him to do that in this moment of worship. Give your heart, your brokenness, your wounds, your pain, all of it to him. God, we praise you and we love you in your name. Amen.